0: Thank you so much, Chosen, for leading us. Can we praise God for for their ministry here? Thank you. Thank you for leading us. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. It is a beautifully tempting day out there to be out there, right? But you are here with us, and I'm so glad that you are. Let me pray, and then we will get into God's word together. Let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, would you help us? To know your love, and to build our lives upon that, for there is no other foundation for our lives besides your love. Help us to receive the gift of your love, even as we look into the scriptures together. I pray in Christ's name, Amen. So there's a uh, there's a phrase that I've learned to use quite often because I think it's really helpful, and it's and it's this: "What's your secret? What's your secret?" Um, I, uh, whenever I meet a new musician that I think is really talented and has a lot of things going on and is a pianist or a guitarist, I ask them, hey, what, what's one thing that you could teach me in like five minutes that would help me, you know, free up my playing? And they'll show me a little technique, and it's invariably helpful. And I say, uh, that, that's great. And they're, they get joy for sharing, and I get to be freed up in that way. And I ask a lot of people this. If I'm playing squash with someone, I say hey, what's a little technique that you could show me that could free up my playing? And I'm sure if you go to someone's house and you, uh, you know, have some of their food, you might ask, hey, what's the recipe? What's, What's your secret? And it's funny how just a little bit of added information that you don't know based on someone who's gone through it and who's an expert, that little bit of extra information can really help you out and can do so much for what you are going through and what you are doing. And I especially want to know the secret of people who have gone through really tough times. I want to know their secret. I want to know the secret of people who have gone through things like, well, the Holocaust. That's why there are so many memoirs of these people who, who go through this, or some internment camp, or some work camp. I want to know, why did they get through it stronger? How did they have the hope? How did they have the strength to get through it? I want to know, what's your secret? And they're happy to tell us. Now, I want you to imagine this person. Imagine a person who um, was put into prison completely unjustly, right? Put into jail for no really good reason. And as he's in jail, he discovers that he could be killed, executed for his crime. And not only that, he doesn't even know when that execution might come. So this person, thrown in jail unjustly doesn't know when his execution is coming and yet this person the same person has incredible joy contentment even peace i want to ask that person what's your secret i want to i want to know what is it that can allow you the strength to go through that and that's what we are going to discover here this morning as we dive into god's word we are finishing up our series discovering true joy, I hope that as you've come through this, you found it, as Ed said, found it rich, and uh, uh, maybe you're thinking, I I don't think I've discovered true joy. Well, write down these notes as you hear them, because a lot of these things coming from God's Word will kind of leave your mind after a while. So write it down and remind you of these great truths of God's Word. We're going to close up this series today, and I hope that some great and helpful things come to you through these scriptures. And today's sermon is called, well, What's your secret? What's your secret? There's a guy, his name is Paul, and actually he was the person I just described to you. He was the one who was thrown in prison unjustly, and he was about, he he could be executed at any time. And while he was in prison, he wrote this letter to a church in Philippi, and it's called the book of Philippians. That's actually a letter from Paul to them. And when he writes this letter, he says this queer thing. This is what he says. Can, can you put this up? He says this, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content. Isn't that strange? The secret, doesn't, that kind of means that it's not apparent to everyone. That you need to be told this. It's a secret. There's, there's something that you need to learn about how to be content. And so I'm hoping to share that with you through the scriptures. And In fact, there are four things that I want to share with you. Because, you know what, I I get anxious, right? I get anxious if an unforeseen bill comes my way. I get anxious, get this, I get anxious even if I'm going to coffee with someone sometimes. Like, I just get social anxiety. Or if I'm going to a party where you're supposed to have a lot of fun, right? I get anxious thinking about, oh boy, I have to go to this party. It's supposed to be fun. I get anxious about these little tiny things. And then I see this person, Paul. And he has every reason in the world to be anxious, and he's not. I want to know, what's your secret? And he's going to tell us. So would you open up your Bibles to uh, Philippians chapter 4? We're going from verse 4 all the way to the end. It's a big swath of text, and we're going we're gonna to go right through it really quick. Um, so would you open up your Bibles or maybe your apps? We also um, have Bibles available to you as well in the, in the auditorium. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 and on. And this is the first thing that we're going to learn, and the first secret that Paul is going to reveal to us, and it's this we can have peace through prayer. We can have peace through prayer. By communicating to God, we can have a true, deep peace. This is what it says. In verse 4, it says this Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That phrase, the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that's a phrase that if you've been at the church for a while, you might have heard that phrase. We can have this peace, believers in Christ can have this peace that even is over our own understanding. Sometimes we even don't know why we're experiencing the great peace that we have. But we can have that. Now, how can we have that? Well, take a look. He actually uh, addresses that in verse 6. It says this. Do not be anxious about anything, right? Well, anxiety kills peace, right? You know that feeling of anxiety, right? You know, it's like knots in your stomach. And, you know, have, have you ever feeling that. Have you ever just decided not to feel that? I've tried this. Like I really have, like many times. I've I've decided it's going to be mind over matter. I'm just going to decide not to be anxious about this. And it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. In fact, it might even make me even more anxious. And Paul says here just, hey, don't be anxious. Don't you wish it were that easy? Just, you know, flip the light switch and not be anxious anymore. But he says, do not be anxious, but instead, do this. Instead, In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You see, the reason why we get anxious is because we're seeing something in the future that needs to go well. We think it's important, it needs to go well, and we have no way of guaranteeing that it will right? That's why we get anxious. We're looking at something in the future, like this This has got to go well. And if it doesn't go well, it's going to reflect poorly on me. Um, I'm going to feel like a failure. I, I won't be, it's because I'm not smart enough. I didn't think things through enough. Um, I didn't plan well enough, or it just com- completely uh, caught me off, go- off guard. And so we get anxious because the weight of an uncertain future is on our shoulders, Right? That's why we're anxious. The whole weight of this uncertain future that we have no real control on is on our shoulders. And you know what prayer does? Prayer takes that weight of anxiety, that weight of an uncertain future, and it transfers it from our shoulders onto the certain shoulders of God. That's what we do when we pray. We recognize, hey, I can't control this future. I don't know what's going to happen next. But God does. And so now, through prayer, I'm going to ask him, would you take the burden of this uncertain future from me? But you know what? The reality is, we never had that burden on our shoulders to begin with. God had control the whole time. In prayer, we simply acknowledge that and put this burden on his shoulders. But you know what? There's actually a a sub-secret to the secret. And it's actually in, maybe you can see it. It's actually in this text. there's something else that we're supposed to do while we uh, bring our petitions to God. Because you know what? When we pray to God, we we pray, hey, God, I really want this to go this way. I really want this meeting to go well. I really want this party to not be so awkward. I really want that. You know what? If we pray that way, we might just be giving our anxiety a new home. Because now what I'm anxious about is whether or not God is going to answer my prayer in the way that I want right? Now, if things don't go the way I want, not only do I have to be anxious about the thing that went wrong, now I can be anxious about God himself. Because God didn't answer the prayer, right? So what do we have to do? And the text tells us, we pray and we give thanks. We pray with thanksgiving. Even before we know how God will answer our prayer, we thank him for how he will answer our prayer. And why can we do that? How can we do that? We do that because we know that whatever we pray for, God will either answer our prayer in the way that we expect or answer it in a way that's better than what we expect. Because God is good and God is in control. And when we pray to him and when we give him our burdens, we are freed up, get this, we are freed up simply to discover how he is going to answer our prayer. And that is anxiety-killing, God-glorifying prayer. We transfer this weight, this burden that we have no control over in the first place. We put it upon God because it's His. And we await for how He will answer. That is anxiety-killing prayer. You can have peace through prayer to God. Try it. Uh, This was, as I studied this, I've started to do this a lot more. I pray for something and I say... God, thank you for how you're going to answer this prayer. Discover the peace that God can offer you. Okay, here we go. We're going to go over to the next one here. The next secret that he's going to reveal to us is this. We can have peace through repentance. Repentance. And repentance means turning away from the evil, turning away from the wrong, turning away from the bad, and turning towards the good, turning towards God. We resist and reject the evil, and we go after the good. That is repentance, following after Christ and leaving behind evil. Take take a look at what it says, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So there's two parts to this section. The first part is about how we should train our minds to think on and put our minds on the good. It's a rhetorical argument. It says, hey, if there is a such thing as excellent or praiseworthy, if there is a such thing as good, put your mind on that, right? if there's a such thing as true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever, if there is a such thing as good, put your mind on that. And he he says this as basically self-evident, because the only alternative is, well, to put your mind on things that are evil, right? Those are the choices. Put our mind on that which is good, or put our mind on that which is evil. Lust, greed, cheating, um, betrayal, whatever it happens to be, that's your, that's the other option. He says, keep your mind on that which is good it's self-evident and you know what the ultimate person that exemplifies both excellence and praiseworthiness is christ this passage is telling us keep our minds trained on jesus keep our minds trained on what who is the ultimate good god himself And that which he has for us. Train our minds to do that. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing it says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So Paul goes from church to church teaching people what the good is and how we ought to live out Christ in our lives and follow his commands. And so we both train our minds to think on the good and also do the good. That's what he's telling us to do. Train our minds to consider and think on the good and also live that good out. Now, the question you might have is this. What is the connection between training our mind on the good, doing the good, and peace? How are those three things related? And here's one way to answer that question. This is a call to single-mindedness. This is a call to single-mindedness, keeping your... Mind trained on the good and doing the good, single-mindedness. Double-minded people have no peace. Double-minded people are sick with anxiety all the time. Here's why. If you're double-minded, there's, there's the external you, right? There's the external you that, you know, is, is for everyone to see. The one that it looks like it's up to doing all the good things. But there's another you going on. It's going on in the back seat. It's in your brain, and it keeps considering all of the evil you'd like to be up to, all of the bad things that you'd like to do, right? And that person has no peace because they're always afraid, that, that double-minded person is always afraid that that second self, the self that we don't wanna show the world, is gonna leak out, right? This, this double-minded person is really concerned about their search history is really concerned about having incognito mode on their computers. This person is really concerned about who they're hanging out with at a certain time. This kind of person has, has one self with one group of friends and another self with another group of friends. This double-minded person has no peace. Now, you might be thinking, hey, that's, that's me, right? And you probably are thinking that because all of us at some level wrestle with this double-mindedness. That's why Paul has to remind us: keep our minds, train our minds to resist evil, focus on the beauty and glory of Christ, and focus on what He has for us, His commands, and how He'd have us live. Focus on that. Discipline our minds to fall, uh, to focus on that, and do that so that we can be a whole person, not one that's afraid of the second self on, in the back seat, but one that can be holy yourself, completely yourself at all times. Christ can help us to do that. Christ will give us the strength. Christ can give us the power to resist that double mindedness and to be single minded, a whole self. And that is anxiety killing. In other words, friends, repent. Repent. You've got evil that you've got in your mind that you want to do. I don't know what it might be for you. I know what it is for me. Repent of it. Say, I'm done with that. I'm done with this second person. I want to train my mind on the good. I want to follow after Christ, knowing he's forgiven me already. That's what he did on the cross. He already forgave you. And we can put behind that other self that keeps trying to trick his or her way back into our lives. We can say, no, I'm done with you. I'm following after Christ. You can have peace that way. Single-mindedness. Training your mind on the good and doing the good. Second secret. By the way, we're, we're doing four. All of these are applicable to you, but one of these might be more applicable to you. So, I mean, write it down. It could, it could be very helpful to you. Here we go. The next one that we're going to see is that we can have peace through power. Peace through power. The very power of God can give you peace. Here we go. This is what it says next. Verse 10. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Just a little update here. Um, the church in Philippi had given Paul a gift while he was in prison so that he could, you know, survive while in, while in jail. And he's responding to the concern that they showed to him. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the, here it is, I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So first he says, hey, I found the secret to contentment. I found the secret. I know, I know how to be content. And I bet all of us want to know how to be content as well. But a, a good discussion might be, you know, what is contentment? What does it mean to be content? Now I was thinking about this for a bit and Here's here's a definition that might be helpful to you. Here's what it is. Content people don't let their imagined lives steal joy from their actual lives. Content people don't let their, you got got an imagined life? Chosen, I I bet your imagined life is you're selling out stadiums in like the ACC, it's not the ACC anymore, but maybe Rogers Center, you're selling out, you know what I mean? We got this imagined life, all of us do, Right? Uh, mine, is, uh, mine used to be not too dissimilar from that. I was in a band back in the day, and I had dreams of, you know, making it big or whatever. I had this imagined life, but the content person doesn't let that imagined life steal joy from your actual, real life. The, the content person can imagine getting more money in their paycheck, but is very thankful for the money that they do have. The content person can imagine the nicer house but is overwhelmed with how good they have it with their present house. The content person doesn't scoff at economy class flights. The the content person can't, get this, the content person can celebrate other people's successes because the content person, though they can imagine getting that raise, they are very happy where they are now because that's where God's placed them. That's, That's what contentment is. So what's the secret? How can, how can I have that contentment, right? Because we all got this imagined life where we, you know, we want all this stuff here. And I'm living my life now. How can I bridge that gap? How can, I, how can I have joy and contentment even while I'm still playing at Richview Church here this morning? Richview Baptist Church here this morning. Like what? Why? Here's how. It's going to tell us. Verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is not a meditative practice, necessarily. This is not a strategy, as you know, have a walk in the woods or read a certain book. This is Christ giving strength. It's a straight-up gift. This is God giving strength to people to be content in whatever the situation. There's, no, I'm, there's not a strategy here. I mean, here, here are a few contributing factors. If you know Christ, if you know God, you know that there is a future in store for you that is greater than any imagined life you could come up with. There's a heaven in store for you, so you can be content in where you are now because you know eternity's on the way. So that's one thing. Here's another thing. If you're a believer in Christ, you know God is with you right now, even in your situation. He's put you where you are, so you know that he's in control and nothing is out of his control. So you can be content. But there's another element, too. And it's straight up supernatural. God gives strength. Seek it. Are you discontent with your life, with whatever it is that's going on with you? you know, whether it is you don't have enough money, or you don't have the right relationship, or you don't, you know, you, you don't have the, the right vehicle. I don't know what it is for you. I, I can't read minds. But whatever it is, you can have contentment in knowing Christ because he gives it. It's a gift. Seek it seek the gift of contentment. Seek the secret of knowing Christ as he gives you strength to be content. Many people take this out of context and say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that, that basically says, hey, whatever dream I have, I will accomplish it in Christ. It's not the context of the the text. The text is telling us whatever situation we happen to find ourselves in, Whatever thing God has put us in, he will give us the strength to be content in that. That's what the passages say. He will give us that strength. Seek it. Seek this gift. It's just his grace given to us. This gift of contentment. Here's the last one. Here's the last secret. We can have peace through God's provision. We can have peace through God's provision. This is the last section here. This is what it says, verse uh, 14 and on. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have, re- I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will excuse me and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And there's that last verse, where it is, eh? my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. You can imagine Paul, you know, he's, he's complaining a little bit here. He's saying, hey, I sent out all of these letters to all of these churches that he had planted, and he thought he had a real need, right? That's why he sent out all the letters. He thought, well, I, I need all of this money to go through my missionary journeys. I need all of these supplies as I'm in prison. So he sent out all these letters expecting that his need would be fulfilled. And Time goes by and he's getting a little frustrated because he's not hearing back from any churches and he's probably getting a little down and he's wondering if the mission can really continue and is God really going to supply to my need and is this really going to happen or am I just going to have to quit and give up? And then the church in Philippi supplies to his need more than once. And you know what Paul discovers there? Paul discovers that the only one Who truly knows what he needs and the timing that he needs it is God. God is the one who knows what you truly and most deeply need. We think we've got an idea right and and sometimes we're pretty close but we've got to admit that ultimately you know sometimes we don't know what we need. What you think you need now may not be what you know you needed 10 years from now. Right? Because imagine yourself as a teenager. What did your teenage self want? Were those your true needs? I can say from, from my angle, no, my true needs were not represented by what, I, by what I truly wanted 10 years ago. But that same thing is going to happen 10 years from now. I'm going to be 10 years wiser and I'm going to realize, hey, the things that I'm up to now weren't really my true needs. So what I need to understand is, and what we all need to understand is that God knows what we truly need. God will supply. That's what it says. God will meet all your needs. We can't hold on to the needs we think we have too tightly. Because if we do, we're going to miss the supply that God has in store for you. It's a promise. God will supply to all your needs. And if we cling too closely to that which we think we need from God, well, we could miss it in two ways. Here's, what, here's one. First of all, you might be wrong about what you need. You might have gone through a really bad breakup not too long ago and you think what you really need is a new boyfriend or girlfriend. That's what you really need. What I really need is that better boyfriend or girlfriend. And what you really might need is to be single for like years maybe. But if you are so committed to what you think you need for yourself, you're going to totally miss how God is supplying to your life. You're going to miss it. God knows what we truly need. And you're, here's another way that we'll miss it. You might be right about what you need, but you might be wrong in how God will supply it. You might expect, I, I know how God's going to supply to my need. He's going to supply it in this way. I, I just That's just how he's going to do it. But that wasn't the case with Paul. It came at a different time. It came from a different source. God still supplied to his need, but it didn't really look like what he expected. And so we need to recognize that ourselves. If we think that we are the all-knowing all-wise person in our lives then we're going to miss God's supply we're going to miss his provision because he will give according to each and every one of our needs our deepest needs needs like joy needs like contentment needs like love needs like a relationship with your creator those are the needs he will supply for. And, and can, you, can you believe this for a second? Like, read that verse, 19, read that verse. And my God will meet, okay, he's not going to halfway meet him. He's not going to go up to here and not, and not meet him completely. He's going to meet him all the way. He's going to meet your needs all your needs, not just the needs you think you have, but the needs that you truly most deeply have, according to the, get this, this is out of control good, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Get get this, the God of the universe is going to mobilize the glory of his own name, of his own son, to meet your needs. That is crazy. That is amazingly good. God, the God of the universe, in all of his majesty and glory, is going to mobilize that for your needs. Unbelievable. And he already did that, by the way. He did that when he sent his son. He mobilized the glory of his name by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to supply to your needs. Unbelievable. And as we receive his supply, as we receive his provision and give thanks to him, he receives the glory. Can you believe this? He gets all the glory, we get all the good. Are you kidding me? Where's the downside here? I fail to see it, right? God will supply to all your needs, mobilizing the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Unbelievable. And when we believe that, when we believe that, we can do the giving that is referred to earlier in the passage. Now, here's here's what you're thinking. I'm sure you were thinking this when Pastor Ed was up here earlier sharing about how he can give. You're thinking... Especially if, uh, if if you're new with us, glad that you're here. You're thinking, "Hey, this church really wants my money. Really, really wants your money." Man, we just bending over backwards trying to get your money. And I just want to, I just want to say, you have no, you may have no reason to believe me, but I'm just going to say it straight up. We don't. We don't. We do, I don't. We don't want your money. You might think, okay, God really wants my money. He really wants to take my money from me. No, 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 no. God doesn't want your money. God wants you. God wants you. And if we are unwilling to part with our money for the sake of Christ, guess what? God doesn't have you. Your money has you. Your money has you. That's why it gets all tense when we talk about money, right? It's this weird thing. We talk about money, it gets tense in the room. Why? Because your money has you. Your money has you. Maybe maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. I don't know, but your money has you. We get really tensed up about that. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And where your money goes, that's where your heart goes. So when we give to the work of the church, we're saying, God, I treasure you. Not the money, not the stuff. I treasure you. You might still be thinking, hey, he's got a really good way of guilt tripping me to get my money. And I guess you'll have to just try it and find out. We don't want your money. God wants your heart. So you might be thinking, hey, what's a, what's a number? What, you know, get me started. How, how can I give to, if I want to give to God, if I want to give him you know, my heart and express that through giving, what's, what's a number? And you know, ultimately this is between you and God, but the word tithe ultimately or literally means a tenth. So 10%, 10% of your income. There's a starting point for you. You might be thinking, what? What? That's a lot. Is that gross income or is that take-home income? And those those questions don't matter. It's between you and God. It's between you and God. Say to God, you're worth everything. And so I'm giving you something. And make him number one in your life. And also number one your finances as well that's all i'll say about that eh just remember we can do that because we know that no matter how much we give even if it's all of it god owns all of it by the way even if we do give all of it this is what it says in verse 19 again and my god will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in christ jesus mobilizing the glory of god for your good unbelievable unbelievable here's the question i'm gonna leave you all with what's your secret What's your secret? How do you overcome anxiety? How are you dealing with life and its stresses? What's your secret? Is it a bike ride every Tuesday? That can be helpful. Let me share you my secret and the secret of Christ followers throughout the ages. Our secret is God. Knowing him. Praying to him. Trusting him him, repenting from evil and going towards him, receiving his gifts of strength, receiving his supply. That is how we conquer anxiety, through God himself and his gifts. That's our secret. And we want to let you know that you can have that too. Give your life to Christ. Trust in him. Trust in him. Seek him and experience. It's got to be experienced and experience the anxiety in your life. Lesson and lesson and lesson and lesson and lesson. You want that. Because I know there are people in here who are anxiety ridden. Their whole life has those knots in their stomach. Follow Christ. Trust in him completely and ultimately. For your salvation and experience the peace. You know, if you just aim for peace, if you're just trying to get peace, if you're just trying to get joy, if you're just trying to get contentment, if that's your end goal, it's actually not going to happen. Seek God and he gives you peace, right? Seek God, and he gives you peace. He gives you joy. He gives you contentment. You aim for those things, you're not going to get them. Aim for God, and he gives you gifts. Unbelievable. Seek ye first. This is a great verse from scripture. Seek you first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. I've got the King James Version in my mind, right? An older version of the Bible. Seek God and experience contentment. That is it for this series, Discovering True Joy. That's it. All right. We're moving on to other things. We're moving, <laughs> moving on to, moving on to a, a new series next week. I hope, you, I, I hope you come with us for that. And just to close this, uh, this series and the service and chosen, I invite you to come up. Would you stand as I read the final portion of this uh, book? We still got a few verses left. I'm not going to cover them other than to read them. Here we go. Philippians chapter 4, verses 20 and onward. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And I'll close with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen.